The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Right now on Fast is what's old about to be new again. A number of the big tech growth names that have just gotten crushed this year are now bouncing back. Is this rebound for real? And could it be the signal for the second half of the year? Plus, shares of Rivian charging higher. The company saying it is on track to build 25,000 vehicles this year, and it delivered over 4,000 in the second quarter. Will this help rev up the EV space? And later, moguls in the mountains, media titans gathering in beautiful Sun Valley, Idaho. But there's some buzz about Netflix being courted by lots of suitors. We'll take a look at who could be interested and which tie-up makes the most sense. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, and Dan Nathan. And we start off with the stunning move in interest rates. The spread between the 10 and 2-year Treasury yields plunging below, neg- below negative 7 basis points, its lowest level since the beginning of April. And while an inverted yield curve is historically a sign of pending recession, no one seems to have told the high-growth stocks this time around. ARK Innovation ETF, that's up 19% over the last thir- three weeks. So is the moving rates, uh, given a new lease on life to this growth trade. Tim, it's, it's kind of confusing if you think about that uh, in terms of recession coming, but you want to be in a Zoom. Yeah, I, I'm not sure you want to be in a Zoom, but but you clearly want to be in the mega cap tech names because I think we've seen this before, and I think there's enough growth there, but there's enough defensiveness both in terms of balance sheet, uh, core business model. If you look at the charts, look Microsoft, Amazon challenging that 50-day, uh, Apple behind them, uh, S&P not even close, and and that tells you what's going on. I would also say look at the triple Qs, which are the Nasdaq 100 ETF, has actually outperformed the S&P uh, by three and a half percent since just before Memorial Day. Um, so that doesn't seem to make sense unless, of course, you look at what's happened to the yield curve. And, and, and so uh, two or three days ago, maybe we would have said or into last week, some of those big moves down in the yield uh, across the across the bond market was was the Fed really breaking something? Is the Fed going to break something? Do they even care? You look at the dollar dollar fresh highs today um, tells you that the Fed is on the front foot. You look at the short end of the curve. Today was interesting because you had a bearish flattening, which simply, folks, means that the sold off the, the short end sold off more than the long end. So two year yields went up 18 bips uh, and and back up to 291. Yet Fed funds out to the end of the year. Um, Tell everybody that the Fed can't do as much as we thought about three weeks ago. Confusing, yes, but uh, this is the recession rally. And I don't think you love it um, for equities, but but it's the rally you have. So you have this rally, Courtney. Is this the rally that you trade then? Do you go into the growthier areas of the market, whether it be the ARC names, which we sort of cited, or the bigger cap growth names? I think short term, you definitely have some opportunity. Those are clearly the things that have sold off the most right now. So I think seeing this balance is not extremely unexpected. But we are still in this environment where we're going to see rising interest rates. We just saw the Fed come out. They're likely going to raise rates anywhere from 50 to 75 basis points. And we're not really seeing that inflation maybe is peaking, but it's not going to come down to that 2% level that we need to get to. So I would proceed with a little cautionary growth names, maybe short term, but longer term, I'm still looking at things like your values. Yeah. And you're looking at financials, I bet. 
I, well, I, I mean, listen, I mean, we talked about, <laughs> we talked, I mean, listen, they report next week, and it'll yeah. be really interesting to think, like, taking Jamie Dimon's temperature will be really important. In January, when we started having that first bout of volatility in large cap land, Jamie Dimon seemed, you know, kind of optimistic, right? And then in April, he turned the, the, the tables a little bit, and then he was the one who kind of warned us about this economic hurricane was coming, and so he's kind of been all over the place, and not, I'm not being critical. I mean, you started the show out by saying how confusing a lot of these kind of macro headwinds. It must be for them, when you think about their capital markets activity, you think about just lending and the mortgage environment, and you think about the, the 210 spread being inverted. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. The geopolitical stuff, sanctions on some of their clients. And so it's a tough environment here. And, I, you know, listen, I, if Guy was here, what he'd be saying is, Mel, he's like, did you see what the two-year did off of its lows today? It was trading at 2.76%, the yield. It's trading at 3% right now. I mean, like, that is an astounding move on a two-year Treasury note. I mean, so to me, I don't think it means that it's so illiquid. I just think it means that a lot of major macro players are not on the right side of it. And so, for instance, we get little data updates like these minutes that are a few weeks old. And should should this have been a surprise to us? I don't know. You know, no, I I, I hear you. And and you could make an argument that the uh, short end of the curve was the part of the curve that was a heart in need of rescue, Dan. But but you have a case here where thank you. Um, you have a case here where, where you actually were so overbought on yields that the kind of move we saw today off of Fed fund minutes, um, which, excuse me, Fed minutes, which, which I, I think reminded everybody of where the Fed was at, at their last meeting, which is now uh, a distant, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks ago. Um, but but they, they were stressing what they are concerned about. We had a chance to revisit that. We, we are reminded of 75 bips. Uh, I think we're reminded of another 75 in July. And, and we have a payroll number on Friday, folks, that I, I think could could, could change things around, too. If, if the job market, and we continue to get, and for all the people that are saying this is a recession, um, this is the strangest recession we've ever had sure. when you're actually adding jobs in a recession. Okay, so uh, if, if the well, labor market on. is as but strong as... it is possible as, that it is a recession, even though it's a job full of course, Of course it is. I mean, and before Dan yeah, it, yeah, it takes me down on yeah, this hill, yeah. um, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you that I think the job market is, is going to strengthen for the next six months, but certainly where we are going into whatever economic weakness this is, we're adding jobs. We're not losing jobs. Um, there's an economy where people have opportunities to work. There is upward wage pressure. This is a very different environment than we've gone into other recessions. Yeah, I was just going to say, remember that other recession, the last recession in 2020? That was actually the strangest one, right? Because we did see unemployment go to about 10%, but then we saw trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary stimulus kind of stave off any of the. But isn't kinda- that what happens in a recession? Well, not like that. I mean, like, that's easily I mean, you would the think, strange. though, that and, and, jobs are, you know, people lose jobs. No, 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 I, no I understand. That's and now we're at 3.6%, and they threw $4 trillion at it. So what I'm saying is, like, on the other side of this, is if we're in a recession right now, like, like this is going to be an even stranger thing, if you will, you know? So, I, I mean, listen, I, you know, going back to the markets here, you know, you just mentioned the minutes is a few weeks old here. The S&P 500 is basically the same spot it was when they raised 75 right. basis points just Yields a couple are weeks. are a lot lower. You, you, Commodities have gone down even more. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it's gone higher. But the, but the irony is, is that what happened today with the commodities continue to go lower, it's actually that's speaking a little bit to a soft landing. But the move in yields since the minutes came out are not speaking to that. They're basically saying that in terms of the inversion. Getting, correct. Getting yes. Worse. And, and the move in which, you know, the two year back to three percent is basically saying that they're going to be a bit more aggressive. And I think if you have a hot to your point, if you have a hot jobs number, then there's no reason yeah. to think that yields shouldn't continue to go higher because they're going to have to stay the course. And the Fed could, and again, back to this, I felt like 
the market was saying the Fed is going to break something. When you looked at the bond market last week, we went from 350 down to 270 on the 10-year. That, to me, was a response that was, you know, the Fed's going to step too heavily. Then we kind of reacted. We said slower growth, uh, lower commodity prices, stronger dollar. Fed doesn't have to do as much. This is what's going on in this market. That's why the, the, you know, the, the moves both in the yield curve and the moves on the equity market, um, are, it's not surprising we're getting this kind of volatility. So is it fool's errand to invest through all of this when there's so many mixed messages, Courtney? Uh, I don't think so. And, and just to kind of, um, yeah. hit on this point here, I think one thing we're seeing, too, is there is a lot of things that have come down, right? So commodities mm-hmm. have come down. Maybe inflation's peaking. But one thing that the Fed mentioned is they're also worried about the expectations of inflation, which is not something we can necessarily quantify as much. But people are expecting inflation to be higher, which can become this self-fulfilling prophecy. And that's something that they mentioned, which I think could lead to them continuing to raise rates. And I think that's the reason part of the markets are nervous right now. So are they going to keep doing that and causing us to go into recession on just our expectations? And I think that's going to be an interesting point. The psychology of it. And yes. I think yeah, the Volcker, the, the, it was the Volcker chart. psychology, right? Yeah, can, can, I, can I just show you a chart of the five-year inflation break-evens expectations right. here? It just fell off the chart. I it's mean, pre, so that's I think the it's thing. it's pre-pandemic levels. Right. And so my, so my point is, is, like, listen, you know what? We all kind of got, you know, everybody got rooked in this one here. No one saw the geopolitical stuff. No one saw that the supply chains that were already, I think, this kind of strain based on this pandemic being exasperated by, you know, this just geopolitical situation, the potential for more. And so you can sit here and we can all argue about this transitory thing. And I know a lot of people, a lot of smart people, I think Peter's going to be one of them, is going to come on and just say, we, you know, they got it wrong. Uh They messed up or whatever. But at the end of the day, inflation was going back down that way. And pre-pandemic, everybody was freaking out that inflation was too low and they wanted it above the Fed's 2% target, right? And we were worried about kind of wage deflation. We're worried about technology deflation. We're talking about universal basic income. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the areas where we had this wage growth on the lower end, because of the disruption, because of the pandemic, those jobs are going to be automated. All these companies are going to have less margins. The investments and everything they've learned over the last two and a half years, they're going to figure out how to automate tons of these jobs. And I think in a couple of years, we're going to be right back to some of those pre-pandemic concerns about jobs. But back to the Fed's you know, job, number one, is getting control of inflation. And you know, the, the, the wage growth we've had in this country, which I, I, I welcome as an American mm-hmm. um, for society, um, is not something we've even seen, I think, in a lot of the inflation yet. I think this is very sticky. And I don't think this is going to change overnight. And again, it may be much more structural than we ever have. And we've, we've, we've you know, when we all went to business school or wherever we went to school or whatever books we read, um, there, there was this, this essentially level of unemployment um, that below which was inflationary. And we're well below um, what we were taught in school because of technology. Look, there's a lot of deflationary forces that have changed structurally where inflation is. I'm just going to say um, goods inflation is coming down. Labor inflation is not changing uh, overnight. And, it, but, and I think it's with us. But in the scheme of corporate America, I mean, for corporate America, when they're taking a look at their costs, as long as goods inflation comes down and wage, I mean, that's okay because it helps offset as opposed to it, at this immediate moment, we are in a situation where everything is still high. Mm-hmm. Right. So at least if one lever goes down that, no, I, that I, that's a that's a pressure point that's relieved in terms of profit margins. I think that's right. And I think you've seen the market price some of that. in. I think the market in the last three weeks, again, since that since that Fed meeting has taken Fed funds at the end of this year from 370 down to 320. I don't know where we are. 323. Um, that tells you that people have gotten a little bit more comfortable that actually they don't have to be as aggressive, even though today we had that sell off. The thing is, though, when we hear companies guide. Are they going to talk about commodities that have rolled over? No. Why no. would they? Why would exactly, exactly. <laughs> so there will still that means that revisions will still be negative. I think we all believe earnings. that. I don't know. I don't, Courtney, yeah. do you believe that? I, yeah. I, I, I know like Dan it. does. So it, it looks positive, but we're still going to get that that outcome. 
and we'll see how the, I mean, we'll see how the market. And so wait, the one thing, though, Mel, yeah. that they can do right now that is in their control is to cut their workforce. Right. And so that's going to put downward pressure. I mean, obviously, unemployment goes up. I don't think you're going to see wage inflation increase at the paces that it did even in the last six to nine months or whatever. So to me, I actually think all that stuff is going to work itself out. All right. Well, our next guest says we are a long ways away from pre-COVID inflation levels. Joining us on the fast line is Peter Bookbar, chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Peter, great to speak with you. I spoke to you this morning on Squawk Box. So it's nice to talk to you um, twice in one day. But you guys now are the hardest working people on TV. <laughs> now that we've uh, gotten the Fed minutes, Peter, I'm wondering, you know, what what's your general reaction? Was were the markets um, bearish after this, given the the steeper inversion? I, I think I think the the minutes didn't reveal any new news, mm-hmm. but did reinforce for markets that the Fed is is flexing their muscles to try to fight inflation, and how far they are going to get inevitably with the rate hikes, we'll have to see. But at least for now. They seem to be pretty committed to get the Fed funds rate to about 3%, but probably then look around to see what the state of the economy is, see where the inflation numbers are, and then go from there. At the same time, in the background, which not many people are talking about, is quantitative tightening has only just begun, and it won't be until September before it ramps up. But in terms of the yield curve today, it definitely was uh, just in response to, again, the reinforcement that the Fed's going to continue to raise rates on the short end, and the long end is obviously very sensitive to the reality that growth is slowing and will continue to. So the impact of tightening overall in aggregate will actually be much um, harsher on the economy than just a 50 to 75 basis point hike in July, is what you're saying. Well, we, we and this has been going on for, for decades, is as time goes on and more debt is embedded uh, in the financial system via low interest rates, we become much more sensitive to even modest changes in interest rates. So a, uh, a mortgage rate that went from three to five is, is a rather short move, relatively speaking, but historically 5% is still a low mortgage rate, but it was enough to cause a very sharp decline in the pace of transactions. So I think it, and we've seen a, a, a rise in, in, in interest rates that historically are very low, but enough to cause a 30% decline in the NASDAQ in a very short period of time and to freeze up you know, funding for a lot of smaller companies. So it's that modest rate of change that has a pronounced impact, and that's why this whole soft landing, hard landing debate, we have the, the most aggressive monetary tightening in 40 years. I don't see how you have a soft landing in that kind of environment. And, Peter, it's Tim. Isn't, is that okay? Uh, and, and I would just you're talking about mortgage markets. And, and I would argue that the Fed's number one job is really uh, to get control of the housing bubble. That's the biggest bubble we have out there. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Well, I agree, because we, we need to sort of uh, ring out these excesses. You're a first time home buyer. I feel really bad because the price you're paying is not just 20 percent above where it was a year ago. A year ago, that was up 15 percent from the year before. So we do need to go through sort of this, this self-imposed pain in order to, to correct some of these excesses. We, 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 the one thing that Powell only gets now but forgot in 2020, 2021, is you need stable prices to create the foundation for a healthy economy and then maximum employment. So it is a process that we need to go through, but it's still going to be a painful one notwithstanding. Uh, but again, it's something that we need to do. Peter, great to speak with you again. Thanks. Thanks, Melissa.
Peter Bookvar, Bleakley Advisory Group. So what would you add to right now, Courtney? Yeah, I think um, I still want to make sure that you're looking at some of your companies that have strong balance sheets. You want to make sure they have good cash flow. I do actually think it's interesting. You brought up earlier that banks are going to be the first thing who are reporting right now. And if we are seeing rates rising, that is going to help their bottom line. So I think that might be something interesting to look at. Um, energy, I still think, is a really good play, especially with this oil that we've seen pull back. I don't think that's going anywhere in the near future as well. Um, also, I think healthcare might be a little more defensive, but I think you're going to have some of these plays where I'm not chasing your big tech firms right now. I know that they're bouncing back up, but longer term, I don't think that's where the play is. All right. Uh, market flash now on GameStop. Shares are jumping extended hours trade after the company announced its board has approved a four-for-one stock split in the form of stock dividend. Shares will trade on the split adjusted basis starting July 22nd. Um, the shares in extended hour trading up 7.2%, um, which is, I guess, the playbook recently, at least for some of these growth your names. Split their stock. Stock magically goes higher based on, I don't know what, Tim, more retail participation? Uh, I, I guess you bring the price down and you make it easier to, to buy off a, of a Reddit board. This, look, this poster child number one for, mm-hmm. for what's been going on in the last stock market that we had. I, I, you know, um, I understand they've changed, they've changed the balance sheet. They've transformed the company on some level. There's a management team that's actually uh, created significant value at other places um, that at least gives investors more confidence. This is still a company that, that right now has not invented this new way to, to, to live up to this multiple. Uh, I would be fading this all day long. All right. Coming up, the food wars heating up. Shares of Uber and DoorDash sinking as Amazon ups its prime perks. The delivery deal that had those names getting bitten, plus the EV trade roaring back. Rivian and Lucid well in the green today. So it's a time to pull the pull to plug into the group. Excuse me. Details straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on two delivery stocks, Uber and DoorDash, sinking after Amazon announced a stake in Grubhub parent Just Eat. The tech giant will also add food delivery perks for Prime members. Grubhub trailing Uber and DoorDash as the third largest meal delivery service by sales. But is the competition heating up? I don't know. As a Prime member, I think I would switch over. Yeah, it's a great deal. <laughs> I mean, listen, you know, this company sold two years ago for $7 billion. Just Eats, the acquiring Amazing. company, is half that market cap. So it goes back to, you know, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? If you're Amazon, they could have at any point moved into this thing. And it really goes back to, you know, some of the ideas that we hear about in other big media platforms or, excuse me, other internet platforms. The idea of a super app. I mean, they have this prime thing and they don't raise the price too frequently on it, but they continue to add value to it. So if you're a prime customer, they know the data there that you're 
you're just going to be that much more frequent. So if they can add things like this. So this is not good for DoorDash. It's not good for Uber yeah. Eats. Um, I mean, to your point. And again, Amazon has an option to buy 2% of this company. Um, to me, this seems like a, a great deal for Amazon and their customers. Seems like worse for DoorDash than for uh, an Uber Eats, an Uber, right? Because it's bigger, has other businesses. Exactly, yeah. I mean, Uber is, is a lot more. You have their mobility space, mm-hmm. which is really their their bread and butter there. Um, they're starting to get more into the, the um, self-driving vehicles, which will be kind of interesting to see for Uber. So, yeah, I see this as a lot more of a positive for Amazon necessarily than a negative it is for Uber. But you're going to see that trade, right? Because everybody's going to make that direct comparison today. So now the question is. Yeah, what is the question, Mel? Uber or Lyft? Um, Given this competition for Uber. So it's certainly been Uber for me because I actually liked this business model that was broader. It was going to be the the super app of all things. And and I I just believe that they'll figure out the profitability, albeit uh, in a different marketplace that was okay, not in this one. I I, I tell you, I I just I look at the ride share. I look at, you know, we talked about this transportation as a service is how we used to talk about these companies back. And I mean, they're they're here. Um, They've displaced uh, a lot of the the transportation infrastructure. They're not going anywhere. Um, To me, I, I think if you look at the metrics, this is a case where these metrics are getting better. Um, the profitability is still going to be under some pressure. Uh, the, la- the labor dynamics and what they have to pay the drivers and even some of the tax issues linger. Um, I think this is a great place to own Uber. I, I-, I don't think there's anything wrong with that business uh, other than um, they haven't figured out profitability. But, but who's taking their lunch uh, in their core business? All right. Meantime, long struggling Rivian and Lucid topping the tape. Rivian surging more than 10 percent after announcing strong second quarter EV deliveries on pace to meet its lower 2022 production targets and shares of Lucid coming along for the ride up almost 6% today. And Courtney, this really does fit into the growth stocks getting a bid today, yesterday as well. Very much so. Yeah, and I, this is where, kind of in my opinion, you're going to see these short-term gains. I don't think long-term is where I'm, I'm trying to force my money in right now. I do think Rivian's interesting because they do have a lot of cash on their balance sheets in order to kind of get them through some of these periods compared to some of their smaller competitors where as we are hitting supply chain issues or as they have some of these other headwinds going forward, I think that can ultimately put them in a good position. Um, I think as you see with Lucid too as well, this news of Rivian actually just helped them, but they also are a lot more U.S. centric. So the, in, um, the increase of the dollar, I think they're going to be a lot more insulated from that than, say, like a Tesla. So I think short term, you're going to see some of those positivities there. Yeah. Yeah, she, she brings up the cash on that balance sheet. I mean, literally, it's what, $16.5 billion, so they're going to lose on uh, gap net income this year, maybe $6 billion, $5 billion next year. So that obviously gives them a little bit of a runway, but I think it's important to recognize the fact that, what do they say, 4,400 deliveries? I mean, like, that's yeah. kind of a routing error. All that being said, I mean, listen, the competition in some of these new, innovative, those cars are hot. I see them on the road. Um, ultimately, there's going to be somebody who comes in and figures out how to make that kind of supercharging you know, network across this country, and then you're going to have the major Detroit EM, OEMs. You're going to have some of these guys, and they're going to be a real competitor to Tesla at some point. Well, I, mean, I know that's going to be surprising coming from me, but that really is the thing that makes all of these things really grow, I think, at a point where we know that GM and Ford by 2030, right, they want their full fleets to be EV or a big right. portion of them. So, Rivian, by the way, back above its 50-day today for the first time in, in what seems like over a year. Um, but they're partners. I mean, they're, they're partners in, in terms of Amazon, especially, less about, you know, Ford. And, and right. it, it's just, you know, where are they going to be in terms of the, the, the robo and the driverless, you know, commercial vehicle market? Um, I think they're going to be at the front of the line. So uh, I don't want to chase this stock either. I, let's be clear. Uh, if we were on a down day where the Nasdaq was down 4%, would anybody be stepping up to say they want to buy Rivian here, a company that's not going to be profitable anytime soon? But in terms of their partners, 
partners uh, and the business that they're in and that they don't need to necessarily be profitable tomorrow. This is a company where execution right now will be about deliveries. I mean, these are important numbers. In other words, for a stock, it's not surprising you're getting this kind of a rally because, frankly, they haven't been able to do it yet. Right, right, right. But, I mean, compare Rivian to a Ford whose valuation is in the single digits, and it just sort of, it's, it's, totally. it's amazing. Five difference. and a half times yeah. next year. Right. Um, much more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Streaming suitors, rumblings of a Netflix being up for grabs. So is there a bingy buyout coming? Plus, K-Web concerns. China tech sinking deep in the red. So what's in store for the group? The traders break it down next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Ask Sherwin-Williams and get 30% off Duration and Super Deck products May 17th through the 20th. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Netflix falling today after Barclays slashed its price target on the streamer to 170 from 275. The once high flyer has lost nearly 70 percent of its value just this year. So has the drop made the company an attractive takeover target? Julia Borston is getting the buzz in Sun Valley. Hey, Julia. Hey, Melissa. Well, here in Sun Valley at the Allen & Co. Conference, as executives speculate about the next round of media deals, there is chatter I'm hearing about Netflix. Netflix co-CEOs Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos are here two weeks ahead of their next earnings report, where the key number in focus is Netflix's guidance for subscriber gains or losses for the third quarter. Some here speculating to me that if Netflix subscribers and its stock price continue to shrink, it could be an acquisition target and a buyer could be the likes of Comcast, CNBC's parent company. Its CEO, Brian Roberts, is here. We spotted him yesterday. Now, another media giant betting big on streaming, Disney. Its CEO, Bob Chapek, is here along with his content distribution chief, Kareem Daniel, here for the first time. And of course, Chapek's predecessor, Bob Iger, a longtime Allen & Co. attendee, is also here. One thing I'm hearing about all of these streaming players is that recessionary pressures will accelerate consumer shift towards ad-supported streaming services. And that's a space where Netflix is rushing to catch up, raising questions about whether it needs to make a big purchase or a partnership to be a real player in that space. But the lower the market caps drop of Netflix, Paramount, Lionsgate, and others in the media space, the more deals we do expect to see. Melissa? All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston in Sun Valley. Our next guest is no stranger to M&A intrigue in the streaming space, and he says investors should pump the brakes on any speculation on a deal for Netflix. Let's bring in Lightshed Partners co-founder Rich Greenfield. Um, 
Rich, why is that bunk? <laughs> well, I mean, look, I guess anything is possible. I would never say never. I mean, I don't think if we were sitting here a few years ago, none of us, uh, I assume, would have believed that discovery would sort of consume Warner Media. So sort of anything is ultimately possible. But I think with Netflix, the, the thing to keep in mind is there's only a few companies large enough that probably could digest it. I heard you just mention, or heard Julia obviously mention Comcast as a potential buyer. That's a very challenging legal transaction. Remember, Comcast got into quite a bit of trouble surrounding the Hulu um, partnership years ago when they were trying to buy Time Warner Cable. Government's got a long memory. I think it would be very hard given sort of the vertical integration of Comcast, you know, distribution, meaning the cable business, broadband business, combined with the content business to also own the world's largest streaming platform. I just don't see that passing muster. Now, Disney is an interesting one. If Disney turned around and sold Hulu to Comcast, we've actually talked about the fact that that would be sort of a really bold, transformative move for Chapik, who's definitely looking to figure out what defines the Chapik era. And if you think about Bob Iger, who I heard Julie just mentioned, no stranger to Sun Valley, he came into being you know, CEO of Disney. And what did he do? He made a major acquisition of Pixar that really set the tone for his career at Disney as CEO. I think we're looking for what will define the Chapik era. I doubt it's a Netflix transaction, but talk about a bold move that would reshape Disney for the future. That would be one of them. Do you agree with the notion, though, that um, with the recessionary pressures and, and pressures on the stock prices at large, that some of these companies will be forced into deals? It's, it seems like an interesting dynamic because while they may want to go away from a subscription model during a recession and, and to advertising, advertising is really correlated to GDP. So if we see that decline, we're also going to see that sort of revenue decline. It, it doesn't seem like a, a real good trade-off. <laughs> I, you know, Melissa, you just nailed it. I mean, I think what, what people are missing when they're looking at the streaming, you know, sector right now is that Netflix actually makes six and a half billion dollars of EBITDA. They generate positive free cash flow. They're not in a challenged position. Yes, subscriber growth has slowed. Investors have lost confidence. It's happened many times before. This is not the first. This might be more severe, but it's certainly not the first time. The real question is, think about everybody else. All of these legacy media companies that have pivoted to streaming, they are losing billions of dollars. I don't care whether we're talking about Paramount Plus or Peacock or Disney, who you just mentioned with Hulu. Like Everyone is just bleeding cash on streaming. Imagine what happens. You're bleeding on streaming, and now your core business that generates all of your cash flow, all of your free cash flow, broadcasting cable networks, sees not only greater cord cutting because of sort of the economic environment we're in, but also sees advertising turn negative. That is a nasty situation that I think is going to the real question we're keep looking for is when do people start to cut back marketing spend and or programming investment into streaming from all of these legacy media companies? That could be really a catalyst, actually, on the positive side for companies like Netflix. I don't think Disney will cut back either, but I do think that there's going to be some of the weaker, smaller players are going to cut back. And that's going to be a very big buying opportunity for Netflix over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. Hey, Rich, you just highlighted the difficult regulatory situation would be for these vertically integrated uh, media companies to buy an asset like this. But what about, you know, let's say a Google or, or a Meta? Um, I mean, could they do this sort of thing? And again, I know that they can't buy ad supported models, but they don't have Netflix right now, an ad supported model. And the other point is this is a $93 billion enterprise company. There are few, very few companies on the planet that could actually digest this. And you got to almost look in the tech space that, that they could do that. 
Sure. But I mean, let's just take Meta for a second. Meta can't make a couple hundred million dollar acquisition of Giphy. And you're talking about making a hundred and fifty billion, let's say, acquisition of Netflix. Like, I just don't see if you can't make a two hundred million dollar acquisition, how you're making a, you know, hundred plus billion dollar acquisition. So I think sort of the, the large tech players under this government regulatory regime, it is very hard to see. I mean, I'd say Apple is the wild card. But look, Apple is building and having tremendous success. It's not like, you know, Apple is not suffering by not owning Netflix. Like lots of people say, oh, why doesn't Apple move faster in streaming? Apple's doing just fine. I don't think Apple's struggling by not being bigger. Slow and steady, they've had a great hit ratio. They're doing amazing amounts of content. I don't know if you've seen Severance yet, but like show after show has really been excellent. And so I doubt Apple steps in and makes a major acquisition like this. I think the reality is Netflix will outlast. Remember, what no one is talking about is when you think about connected TV time spent, like I think time spent is the most important metric. Netflix is almost 30% of all connected TV time spent. They dwarf everybody. I mean, even YouTube is like 20%. No one else is even close to Netflix and YouTube. And so from that standpoint, they're head and shoulders above everybody else. They're going to outlast everyone else. I think they've been surprised by the level of losses people were willing to sustain. My big bet is, though, some of those investments start to scale back, as Melissa was sort of highlighting. They're not going to be able to withstand this if advertising turns negative. And that's going to be the opportunity for the leaders in the space. Uh, We're just about out of time, Rich, but you mentioned the Chapek era. And so I have to ask you, do you think he's going to have an era? Or, I mean, I, I understand that they signed his employment contract, and, and but that doesn't really mean anything, ultimately. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a nice vote of confidence at, at this very moment in time. Um, what does he need to do? I think Bob's gotten a bad rap, and I don't really know exactly why. I mean, he sort of, he came in, obviously, it's very hard to replace Bob Iger. I think that's almost impossible. And has he made some missteps, things like the Scarlett Johansson situation, and obviously what happened in Florida with um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, kids and you know, schools. It, it's been a mess in terms of some of the political decisions he's made. But in terms of running the company, I think he's actually done a pretty good job. And I think he's made, guided them through the pandemic with, with real um, success. And so I actually think there is going to be a shape of gear. And I think the big question is assets like ESPN, why do they need it? Why do they need to be in the sports business? Why don't they just be in businesses where they own and control the content globally. And that's Mm. what we're really looking for is, does he start getting out of and strategically reposition Disney for the future? I don't think sports and ABC, that doesn't feel like the future to me. That seems like the past. I think they're going to double down and spend more on streaming things that they own and control like Disney Plus. I'm not even sure they need Hulu to the earlier conversation we were having. So I think there's some big moves coming at Disney. I just don't know when. But now that he's got a contract, To your point, now he's got three years of visibility or three years of safety. Let's see what he can do now. All right. Rich, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Rich Greenfield of uh, Lightshad. Tim, will there be a Chapek era? I think there will be. Um, I'd be Disney is known for continuity and stability. And and I think Bob Chapek was chosen for that. Um, Rich knows better. And some of the more public missteps, as he's referring to him. 
I don't think that's really it. Do they need to do something big here? Well, they also have, uh, they've restructured this company dramatically in the last two years. They've got a streaming business that's growing very fast, um, but again, needs to be profitable. And, and I think Disney has a lot on their plate. Could they be opportunistic? Yes. Uh, can't speak to the pressure that might be on a new CEO. Um, I, I just think when you look at the media sector and the cyclicality of the ad business and, and where some of these companies are, and really some of that's not really as much priced into a Disney as it is into uh, maybe a Netflix, again, they don't have the ad-supported model, but 15 to 16 times on Disney is something that's extremely attractive. Um, and, and having said that, if you look at Netflix, it's trading almost the same level. And, and if you, would we have thought that if you're looking at 12 bucks a share on 2023, Disney and Netflix would have the same multiple. Right. Um, you'd say either something's badly broken at Netflix or, or Disney collapsed, or di- I'm sorry, or Disney re-rated in a massive way. Uh, and I'm not sure either is correct right now. I mean, Netflix is a value stock and you've been nibbling. Yeah. I mean, listen, I actually think the opportunity to kind of capture, you know, the, the, the rest of the subs who haven't been paying for so long in an ad-supported model is going to be a really good opportunity. I think they'll probably push into some live sports and some other stuff. So to me, I actually don't think Reed Hastings would sell for anything near, right, like that some of these companies would be able to buy. And if you're going to bet, and Guy says this all the time, if there's one CEO over the last 20 years who's had tons of stuff hurled at him and been able to pivot and get things right, I actually think the speed in which the stock has come down is the opportunity because it's actually discounting all the potential things that they could capture over the next few years. All right, coming up, has growth found a floor? Some high growth names in the red after a recent run-up, but the technicals could be pointing to some opportunities in this group. The details straight ahead, but first, K-Web woes. China Tech heading south as top name sell-off. So is this group a no-touch? More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The China Internet ETF KWeb getting hit hard today as COVID cases spike in Shanghai, Beijing and Xi'an once again. This just days after China eased back on COVID measures for international travelers. Chinese tech stocks also comprise the four worst performing names in the Nasdaq 100 today. Pinduoduo, JD.com, NetEase, Baidu all falling between three and seven percent. We did see a rise in these, Tim. Maybe it's no surprise that given the lockdowns, there's some fear. Yeah, I, I think K-Web is not necessarily your proxy for playing China macroeconomic. Mm. And, and I, when I hear about extended COVID lockdowns, I don't think I want to sell K-Web. I, I might want to be selling Melco and I might want to sell some of the casino names. Um, but I, I actually think the most important driver to owning K-Web right now is your sense that the Chinese government is, is, is giving Tencent, Alibaba, uh, JD.com the ability to run their businesses now that they've said we're the sheriff who's in town and don't forget about it. It's, it's outperformed, by the way, K-Web, the S&P by 60 since March. Um, And granted, it was a terrible two-year run, but a lot of people have talked about uh, the value in Chinese stocks, uh, the dynamic in terms of the macro. China's the only central bank, at least of the majors, that's pumping in liquidity. Yeah, the divergence in policy, in in monetary policy, and um, the sort of respite from from the lockdown. Do you see value there? I do, actually. I think looking at some of these dips is definitely an opportunity. Um, It's it's not that unexpected, right? We're having more lockdowns in China. Yes, people are nervous about it. But longer term, we're going to see China open back up. We're already starting to see some positives. Like, we are starting to see that maybe we're going to ease on some of the tariffs, which could be a positive for some of your Chinese markets. Um, You also want to look at it, too. There's two major ETFs, right? So we're talking about KWeb, but there's also the iShares China ETF, which is actually holding up a lot better. So it's really your tech specifically that's getting hit a little harder. So that might be a little of a less volatile play for looking for China. Um, But I actually think longer term, it's a great opportunity. Coming up, high growth names sinking today, even after a recent run up. So as a momentum run its course, we're going to hit the charts next. Plus, any interest in Pinterest? One options traders betting the recent drop is picture perfect. The details when Fast Money returns. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. The IGV on the comeback trail up over 7% since mid-June. It's one of the proxies for the growth trade. So is there real momentum with this group? Let's go off the charts with Ari Wald of Oppenheimer and where to find some growing opportunity in the space. So, Ari, what names are you looking at? I've got three names to look at. Here's why I'm looking at them. Let me set it up for you first, Melissa. I think it really starts with interest rates. As we think about the destruction in the market this year, it's been driven by this risk-off rise in rates. So when I see a 10-year U.S. Treasury yield fail to sustain its breakout at its 2018 peak at three and a quarter and then subsequently fall uh, below its 50-day average, I think that's a step in the right direction towards lessening market risk, allowing these high-growth stocks to find their footing, and in turn allowing the equity market to base. And we are expecting an upturn in the equity cycle in the fourth quarter, and one characteristic of an upturn in the cycle is a rotation towards the bear market's biggest laggards. So there's three criteria we're screening for. First, we're looking for low momentum growth stocks. By low momentum, we're talking about prior underperformers over a 12-month period. We're looking for those stocks that held their 2020 breakout, so structurally intact, not as a, a full retracement back to the 2020 lows. And three, we're looking for stocks that have more recently reclaimed their 50-day average showing signs of relative strength. So here are the three names. First off, let's start with Moderna. And I think that really speaks to the broadness that we're starting to see in the healthcare biotech industry. And here's a stock. I think what's notable is that it's been basing since March. That's what I'm annotating there. So it's a farther along than the biotech industry now moving above the 50-day average. Uh, I think that base is intact above 139. That's the, the, the level of support for traders to play. Stock two within technology into it. Here's a stock that retraced 62% of its prior bull market. That's the line I'm annotating. Now, while the market made a new low in June, into it made a higher low. I see that as a sign of relative strength. Again, now moving above its 50-day average. I think that's the start of a basing process. And the final chart is that of Etsy, a stock that as much as it's declined, has still come into that breakout, its 2020 breakout point above the 2019 peak. Very often, former resistance becomes support. Now that stock is stabilizing. It's built a, a higher low from where it was in May, moving above that 50-day average. Use that as the stop level. That's at $82. Uh, I think Etsy is starting to base and on the road to recovery as well. I understand, Ari, that these three names in particular, um, their charts look particularly good. But with rates having pulled back as they have, is this sort of a, a go ahead, a green light for investors to get into tech at large more broadly? Uh, that, that's our take of it, uh, especially on the large cap side. I, I, I do agree. What we think has happened in the market is that it was repriced for recession almost instantly, especially in those high growth tech and healthcare areas. And I think they have to be repriced for a low growth environment. So this new up cycle, it's going to isn't going to be led by a, uh, a reacceleration of the economy. It's going to be more like a 2019 type scenario where rates turn lower. ISM, PMI leading indicators are still pointed lower, but the market is able to continue to rally against that backdrop. And, I, and in that low growth backdrop, I think it's especially supportive for those higher growth uh, sectors like technology. Ari, nice to see you. Thank you. You as well. Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. You like any of those picks? I'm not into it. 
Uh, oh, no. Uh, Etsy I like. Um, so that one, it, you didn't get that. I'm not into it. I know. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. So Etsy is a name that is obviously down a whole heck of a lot, and I think the technical things, I'll leave that to him. This is a profitable company with 70% gross margins where expectations have been reset. I will say this, like I've said about a lot of these growth names, there's probably one more guide. That means there's probably one more gap lower, mm-hmm. so they get cheaper. But again, this stock went from a dollar in earnings to three dollars in earnings to four dollars in earnings from you know 19, 20, 21. Now it's back at three. Uh, ultimately, that growth will come back, and the revenue growth, high teens to me. I think this makes sense. But again, I think there's going to be one more guy this year. It's it's interesting how it's the pullback in rates, right? That's sort of that's the green light here for investors. Well, he's referencing the 10-year discount. Exactly, rate. exactly. But if we decline too much, it could have the opposite effect, right? I mean, if we if we go down, there there's probably a sweet spot in terms of te- the pullback in ten-year tre- Treasury yields that we want to see without it going too far for us to be actually alarmed by what that's telegraphed. Yeah, well, a massive flight to quality and and a move, you know, to to, to two percent on the tenure is is the, the Fed has broken something. By the way, his his hourglass timer is broken. It wasn't moving. Were you watching that? I, I mean, was. I was very distracting by it because, because it's yellow sand, yeah, so, which is so, highly yeah. unusual. Yeah. The, one of the names I would throw in there is Zoom. And again, one of the poster children for what was going on in COVID. Um, this is a company that is profitable. Okay, this is a company uh, they'll do a billion three in in EBITDA. It's it's not massively cheap. Stock chart looks very similar to the same ones we've just looked at. So a lot of charts look like this. All right, coming up, should you put a pin in pins? Shares of Pinterest bouncing around over the last month, and that is options traders logging in where they see the stock heading next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it social anxiety. Shares of Pinterest down more than 75% over the last year, but one option trader is making a huge bet that the bottom is finally in. Tony Zhang joins us with the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa, we saw a lot of bullish flow from social media companies, but Pinterest really stood out, trading nearly three times the average daily volume. And one trader took up almost 59% of today's volume, selling 80,000 contracts of the August $20 puts, collecting about $2.55. That's nearly $2 million in premium. But it obligates this trader to cough up another $140 million to buy the 8 million shares of Pinterest if it's below 20 bucks by the August expiration. So clearly someone making a bet that we are near a bottom in some of these bombed out social media names. Tony, thanks. Tony Zhang for more options action. Tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade, Tim. Qualcomm, 14 times, uh, certainly value country in the semiconductor space. Samsung Galaxy share gains. I like it. Courtney. Uh, we talked about this pullback that's happening in China. I think that's a great buying opportunity. I look at the iShares as opposed to the KWeb. I think it's a little bit better diversified. Dan Nathan. Yeah, next week we're going to get those bank earnings. I don't like them. I think there's going to be a couple of tape bombs there. That's a surprise. But the XLF, the at the money puts, the next week expiration are 1.5% of the ETF. It's price. like a mini OA going Yeah, it was. Right that, for you. OA. Tune in yeah. Friday at 530. It's a Friday preview, yeah. bonus. potentially. Well, thank you all for watching Fast Money. It was a fine educational program tonight. I'll see you tomorrow morning for Squawk Box. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.